How you guys doing tonight? We on? Good? Cool. All right. So as you can see, uh, Jackie's not here tonight. Uh, Jason and uh, I think Levi as well. They were at a pastor's conference this weekend. I think they'll be getting back tonight. So uh, we'll just keep them in prayer for their travel mercies and getting here. And um, we'll just open up in prayer now. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, I think that, thank you that you've preserved your word, Father, that uh, we are able here to study it, to learn from it, and to be transformed by it, Lord. Do you want to just lift up uh, Jackie and Jason and Levi and the other pastors that went to the conference, Lord, and just pray for their travel mercies as they get home tonight, Lord, and just be with them and pray your anointing on the word tonight, Lord. I pray that the words that you'd give me, Lord, to speak would uh, be your words, Lord, that um, there'd be nothing that I would say that would not be from you, Lord, that uh, you would be glorified and honored in, in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue to in uh, Isaiah 63, if you have your Bibles, go and open up. And uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 63 and 64 tonight. And we want to kind of keep in mind where we're getting towards the end of Isaiah, Isaiah 66 chapters. And so we're coming to the end of Isaiah and we want to just keep in mind of kind of the overall context of, of what the story in Isaiah has been about. And it's kind of been about how Israel, we get from the old Israel, the rebellious Israel, to an Israel in submission to God. How do we get from the old Israel to the Israel that God wants them to be? And a lot of that story is a lot of the story of, of our lives as Christians is how do we get from somebody who's rebellion in, against God to somebody who has submitted to God. Um, and in Isaiah 63 here, Isaiah reflects upon what God has done in the life of Israel, how God has shown his steadfast love, his mercies. And he's also recounts in this prayer, it's called the prayer of the remnant, how the current state, what their current state is, and um, and how they had rebelled against God. They had fallen short of what God had planned for them. And towards the end, he wonders um, towards the future of what, uh, what hope that they have. And so let's just get started. And so uh, Isaiah 63, 7, Isaiah records, I will rec- recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, According to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So the the first thing that Isaiah, he wants to recount the steadfast love of the Lord. And it's emphasized here um, about just God is love. And it's through his love, the steadfastness of his love, that he's granted them the mercies that he's granted the good uh, great goodness to them that according to his compassion and so he's reflecting here on what God has done for them in the past and he says in verse 8 for he said surely they are my people children who will not deal falsely and he became their savior God has chosen this people and he but it's interesting it says surely they are my people and the children they will not deal falsely well God knows what the children of Israel are going to do. And yet, he still has this opinion recorded here that um, 
that they would not deal falsely. He wants to have that high opinion of them. Just as a father to a child, we don't want to think that our children are just going to lie to us. And so the Lord here has that same thing, has that, that high expectation for his children. But even though he knew that they would rebel, even though that they knew that they would fall short, it says he became their savior. He became their savior anyway, even knowing what uh, Israel would do. And there was nothing special about Israel in themselves that God chose them. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so there was nothing that was inherently special about the children of Israel other than God loved them. And God loved them even though he knew where they would end up. And the same is true of us as well. There's really nothing great about me um, that would make the Lord love me, that he just has to love me. I'm so great. Um, and, but it is through his love that he is able to save and become a savior for us. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Sometimes we often wonder in affliction, the pain and struggles that we go through, does God care? And here clearly it says that he, in Israel's affliction, he was afflicted. And so um, he does care. He does feel the struggles and the pain in everything. It says in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And it was in his love and in his pity that he redeemed them. And the angel of his presence saved them. The angel of his presence, anytime when it's talking about this angel of his presence, it's talking about the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. In the Old Testament, we see this angel of the Lord as being representative of Christ. Christ in the Old Testament. And it says, and it was in his presence that he saved him. Remember, it was the angel that passed over in Egypt, right? It was the angel that, that uh, during Passover that passed from house to house. And yet he redeemed the children of Israel there. And it was the angel that went before them in the Exodus. And it says, Exodus 23, 20, says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. We see in Isaiah 63, 10, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Isaiah is recounting all the good that God had done for Israel in his steadfast love. But he recognizes that they fell short. They rebelled. And they still rebelled, even though all the good things that God has done for them. God's done a lot of good things for me, and I'm sure he's got a lot of good things for you, and yet we still fell. We still find ourselves falling short, but we don't want to become enemies of God. Um, and so 
uh, verse 11, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea Where the sh- with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? See, he's recalling these good things that God had done for them. And he's saying, hey, this time, in, in the days of old... You brought us up out of the sea with the shepherds. You gave us leaders to lead us. But where are you now? Where is he who who brought them up out of the sea? Where is he who put them in the midst of the Holy Spirit? Where are you now, God? And so he's asking these questions. I think sometimes we ask these questions as well when we're being afflicted, when we're going through tough times. Where is God? Where is his glory, and it says, it caused, who caused, it was God to make himself for an everlasting name. He uses people for his glory. And where is he? Where is he? Part of the reason for, for the captivity of the Israelite, uh, Judah going into the captivity in Babylon was that they had wicked leaders. Where are these godly leaders? Like before in the days of old, Moses and Aaron and God moving and showing his people how he moves. And where is this now? Where are the leaders? Um, Verse 13, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. It was God led the people, and he will again one day lead the people. And he does all these things for his glory, and he uses people to do it. And God's presence was clearly felt in that time. And he's lamenting, where's your presence now? And I think we can, he's reflecting back that time when God's presence was felt. And um, I'm not sure about you, if you've ever felt that presence of God, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. but if you have, and you can reflect back upon that time to the goodness of God, the great goodness of God, to his steadfast love, and you just you want to feel that all the time, right? I know I, I do. I remember a time my wife and I went out to dinner, and we were at a restaurant, and I sat down at the booth, and I was kind of facing the door, and I was with our kids, and she took the kids to the bathroom, and I was just sitting there and waiting for them to come back. And a guy walks in through the door and kind of sits down in the booth, a couple booths away, and it reminded me of uh, David Bayshore. I don't know if you guys remember who the Bayshores were, but they attended here for a while before they moved back east. And this guy, it just something about him just reminded me of David. And I had an overwhelming urge to pray for David. Uh, this guy reminded me of him, and it just, I, just, I felt like I just needed to pray. So I just bow my head there right at the table, and I just start praying. I don't know what I'm praying for. I just felt like I need to be praying for David. And my wife, she comes back from the bathroom with the kids, and she says, what are you doing? And are you okay? And I'm like, I'm obviously praying, and I'm a little bit agitated about it, which... 
probably shouldn't be while you're praying. But I'm like, I'm praying. And, uh, and she goes, for David? And my heart just kind of leaps in my chest. And I, what is she talking about? How could she know who I'm praying for? This guy sat down and he just reminds me of David. And she says, David. And I'm thinking, is maybe she's thinking, how could she possibly know this? Is this a different David that uh, she's talking about? And so I'm kind of going over my head like, oh, D- David who? And she says, David Bayshore. And I'm like, wow. And I just, I lose it at that point. And just the tears just start coming down. And I said, I don't know why I'm praying for him, but I'm praying for him. And she says, well, he just posted on Facebook that he had cancer. And I just, I'm bawling. I said, I'm just praying. I don't know why I'm praying. Lord told me to pray. I'm just praying. But it had to be the Lord in that time where you felt his presence. I felt his presence there clearly. And so those times when going through tough times, going through struggles, where I go, where God, where are you? Where are you? I can reflect upon those times that God has shown me clearly his presence. And I'm not sure if you have a story like that. I hope you do. And, and if you don't, maybe you will. Um, but we can look at back at that time. God is present, though even though we don't feel him all the time, um, we can feel him. In this part of the, um, the focus here in Isaiah, it kind of changes back from reflecting on what God has done for the nation of Israel in the past to kind of his prayer now of where their current state is. And Isaiah 63, 15 says, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. Now, the stirring of inner parts, it reads literally in the Hebrew as the agitation of your intestines. And it refers in, in the way in which one's nervous system reacts when one feels pity and compassion towards another. And Isaiah is asking here, where's your zeal and your might? Where, where is this compassion that you have for us? Because it feels, it feels like you're restraining yourself. It feels like you're holding those things from me. And I want you to look down from heaven and see, can't you see what it is we're going through down here? And it feels like you're restraining yourself. Can't you see what's going on? In verse 16 it says, But for you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. Now, Abraham doesn't know them because they've strayed from the faith of Abraham. And even though they've strayed from the faith, Isaiah still acknowledges and says, but we're your children. Even though Abraham, he would not recognize us, you know, Father, you know we're your children. And we know that you're our Father and you're our Redeemer from old. old. We would like you to be your, our Redeemer now. And it says, verse 17, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Now, God didn't force the people of Israel to rebel. He didn't cause them to sin, but he gave them as discipline over to it. 
they were in rebellion and God let them rebel. He gave them over into their sins. In Romans, we read about that. In Romans 1, how God has given over to the people the sinful desires of their hearts. Sometimes God does that for discipline. He doesn't do it to make them sin, but he turns it over. Why? So that they would turn back. So that they would turn back. But it's only by the power of the Spirit that we can change, that we can turn back. And so he's saying, return. You turn for, to us as we turn to you for the sake of your servants, because we can't do it without you. And it's true. We can't do it without him. It says, your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We've become like those over whom you've never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. And they were, Israel was worshiping other gods, and now they've been taken to a land that does the same. Babylon's not ruled over by God, and now Israel is looking like the rest of the nations that are around them. And he's lamenting this fact, and he's saying, hey, we've become like those other nations. We've become like those who've never been ruled. We're not in submission to you. We're not following your ways. And we're like the rest of the world. As Christians, we shouldn't look like the rest of the nations. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. We should look like those that are being ruled over. And who is the king well, Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings and lords of lords. And we should be in submission to him. We want to be like, look like those who are in submission to him. We don't want to look like the rest of the nations. We don't want to be given over um, in our own sins in which we look like the rest of the nations, the rest of the world. We're called to be uh, separate from the world um, as far as um, the things that they do, we're not to love the things that the world loves. We're to love the things that God loves. Isaiah 64.1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and then the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah is begging God to rip the heavens open and step into this world. God has shown himself before to them, and the mountains have trembled, and Israel said, no, we don't want that. Moses, you go and speak for us. We can't stand being in the presence here. And Isaiah is saying, oh, just begging would, that uh, God would come down and that the mountains might quake again at his presence. And when he's talking about when the fire kindles brushwood, he wants to feel that presence, that when the fire's there, the brushwood lights. When fire's causing water to boil, there's a reaction there. There's a cause and effect there. He wants God to be here, that they would feel his presence again. God, he wants to um, see God there. Isaiah forty twenty two, he's talking about, um, it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spread them, spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Heaven like a curtain that separates us from God, like a tent to dwell in, like the temple back in their day. 
I'm not sure if that reminds you of anything. It reminds me of Matthew 27, 51. And it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Isaiah is begging the Lord, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. We see that when Jesus died on the cross. Heaven was split. The curtain was torn. There's no longer that separation between us and God. And it says, verse 3, When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. And again, Isaiah is referring back to the time before that he was recalling these things that God had done and acted in the past. And he's saying, God... Please come down again. Do that again. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. We can see that that it's only God that acts, not idols, the idols of the nations that they had been worshiping. They're not doing anything. Um, They cannot save. They cannot redeem. It is God that acts. And, and who's he act for? He acts for those who wait on him. He acts for those who wait on him. And the idea of this waiting isn't just sitting around doing nothing going, okay, God, I'm, I'm waiting for you to do something. It's, it's more of the concept of as somebody who is like a waiter waiting on somebody. They're active. It's an active. It's a verb. It's not uh, passive. It's an active verb. Someone who is actively seeking God, seeking his will, seeking what, um, what God wants. I know for me, waiting is hard. Um, a lot of times I just want to act and do it myself. I can take care of this. Um, Jason tells a, a great story of how he kind of learned about patience and stuff when he was in, in Mexico. And he, he tells a story about how um, he was doing missionary work. And the, the guy he was with, the truck broke down. And uh, Jason's got, he says, I got money. I'll just go and buy the part that we need to be fixed and replaced. And um, the guy that's like, no, we'll just, we'll pray and we'll, See what the Lord does. And Jason's like, I got the money right here. We'll just go to the store, buy the part, and we'll go. And um, the guy insisted, no, we're just going to wait on the Lord and, and see. And that would be hard. That's hard for, for me. I, I have that same, that same tendency of, Lord, I, I got this. I don't, I, I don't need you. I can just take care of this myself, get it done. And so Jason and this guy, they were waiting, and and. Suddenly this uh, guy in a cart pulls up in a cart, and he's got a whole cart full of parts, uh, used parts and stuff for the car. And he had just the part that they needed. This guy just walked up on the street with the part that they needed for less than they would have paid it for it anywhere, and they were able to, to minister to him. Um, you know. And so just that, that patience to see what God is going to do, it's God that acts. It's God that acts for those who wait for him. And it's not, it's not believing or waiting on false idols that can't do anything. It's the God Almighty that can do it. 
verse 5, it says, You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? If you have the New King James or King James, I like how it ends there. It says, how can we be saved? Can we be saved? Um, And I just love the honesty of Isaiah at this point. He's saying, you were angry and we sinned, and we've been sinning a long time. How can we be sinned? Or how can we be saved? Um, how can we be saved? And so in Matthew 7, 7, we are saved by seeking the Lord. And it says, ask as it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks find. And the one who knocks, it will be opened how can we be saved even if we've been sinning for a long time? We can be saved by seeking the Lord. We can't out-sin God. He will be there. He's waiting with outstretched arms for you and I to repent, to turn towards Him. Um, and He meets Him who joyfully works. It's God that had to come down to us. We can't get up to him he had to come and meet us and we do and he does that by remembering uh who god is and seeking him we all have become like one who is unclean and our righteous all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away so we Isaiah is acknowledging that they've become cast out. They've become estranged from God. They're the children of God, but they've been cast out. They've rebelled, and they've become estranged. There's that separation from God. It says, all their righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And that's in the ESV. We typically think of it as filthy rags, right? King James, New King James. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And, and the filthy rags are talking about are here, the, the idea that he's um, getting across is that is disgusting to God. That the filthy rags he's talking about, this polluted garment, is a used menstrual cloth. That the best we can do is like a used menstrual cloth. It's, it's disgusting to God. Our righteous deeds um, are discussing to him. It says, we all fade like a leaf. It's fall around here. I, uh, leaves were on the tree one day, and now they're all on the ground, um, dying and fading away. And he says, we're fading like that. We're fighting like these leaves that are just dying. It says, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. They're being swept away in their sin. And the wind, the wind is like a hurricane. I don't know about where you guys were on Saturday when the winds came through. It was swept away like that. It was powerful. There was no control over it. They're just being carried away in their sins. Just wherever they go, wherever they lead to. Um, It says... Verse 7, there is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. 
For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. They're being complacent. They're being apathetic in their walk with the Lord as children of God. They're saying there's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take a hold of God. But the the truth is is that um, it is God that holds us. And it's not that we can hold on to him, but they're not even making an effort to even do that. And it says, For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands in the hand of our iniquities. Again, they're being swept away in their sin. They're turned over to their sin. Um, and now they're, they're just living in their iniquity in the state that they were in. But that's not where... Um, but that's not where they want to be. And that's not where Isaiah wants to be. It says in verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So he's acknowledging the state that they had been in, in rebellion, sinning for a long time. And then in sharp contrast to that, he's saying, But now, O Lord, We want to recognize you as the sovereign. And we want you to mold us, make us uh, into your work, into the work of your hand. Make us into the people that we need to be. We need to submit to the sovereign. He is the king and the Lord of lords. Now Isaiah wonders here, though, in verse 9, he says, But be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. And so Isaiah, he understands the condition of the nation before God. He understands his own condition um, before God. And he's saying again, going back to this concept that he's asking God, don't be so mad, God, that we can't turn back to you, that you have gone from us forever. Remember not our iniquity forever. But look, we're your people, we're your children, we're your chosen ones. The God that I recounted earlier, your steadfast love, your mercy for your glory. We want that back again. We need that back again. And we're your people. Look, can't you see that we're your people? Verse 10, your holy cities have become a wilderness, and Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. And so Isaiah is appealing to God's holiness here. He says, it's, it's your holy cities that have become a wilderness, Zion Jerusalem, the house that we praised you in, they're all ruins burned by fire. And he's kind of being a somewhat a little bit manipulative here, I would think, and saying, don't you care about these places that were for you, about your holy places? Um, we get that, you know, we've messed up, we've failed, but for your glory, for for those things, would you, for the places that... We worshipped you, and for the your holy places that you've made holy, would you do it for? Would you come back for them? 
In verse 12, it says, Will you restrain yourselves at these things, O Lord? Will you, are, is our sin, is our iniquity, is it, again, have we out-sinned God? Or is there any hope for us left? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Are, you gonna, are we going to hear from you again, Lord? Are we going to hear from you again? The answer is in the next chapter, in chapter 65. We won't go there tonight. But Isaiah's wondering, is there still hope for Israel? Is there hope for anybody who has sinned? Or is it caught up in sin? Who has been in rebellion? And the answer is, of course, yes, there is. In Romans 5a, it says, But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God chose his love for us that while we were still sinners, we weren't all cleaned up. We weren't all in a state that God said, okay, you're, you're good enough now that I'm going to show my love to you. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And so I think for for us, it, for me in particular, it's, it's helpful to reflect on what God has done for us. How even just re- remembering back to the time that you were first saved, I, I remember that, that zeal, that presence we felt in that beginning. And if it's been a while for you, um, maybe that you don't feel that all the time now. That, that zeal, that presence as if the very first beginning. And so it's helpful the presence that I felt when I, I just knew that God was working and speaking uh, that night there in the restaurant when I prayed for David, I just, it was powerful. And so to, to take a step back and just reflect on that and just reflect on on verse Romans 5.8 that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Um, and just just to ponder that in the... in in the every day, um, to acknowledge that where are we still sinning, where we're still falling short, that we need to to seek God, to seek, uh, and He will meet us. Um, that we need to wait on Him, and He will He will act, and He will show His love. But it's God that needs to change us. But we need to. We have a choice. Everybody has a choice. To make in that, um, and so, but we need to seek. And as it said in Matthew seven, if we knock, he'll answer. And so, there is still hope. Uh, there was hope for the nation of Israel, um, and there's hope for us. So, just go in prayer, Lord. Thank you for. Uh, again, thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your son that died for us, Lord, that uh, that we could have hope, Lord. I thank you for the opportunities in the past, Lord, that I remember where I felt your presence so strongly, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as I seek you um, and seek your voice and seek your, your word, Lord, that could feel that presence strongly again, Lord. I thank you for the hope that we have. I thank you for your son. 
I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I need